We're looking at 1 Corinthians, and we're in a section of this letter. We've been in, a, in it for a few weeks. It's a section that deals with doing church for the glory of God. We're to glorify God in everything, and here Paul is talking about glorifying Him in how we live and worship together. How do we do that in a way that honors God rather than dishonoring Him? Well, Paul says that to do that, we have to understand what the church is. Is it a club, a corporation, a conglomerate? What is it? Until we know what the church is, we will have great difficulty honoring God as a church. And that's what our passage this morning is here to do, to help us understand the church. We're going to pick up in chapter 12, at verse 12, and we're going to read through to verse 27. If you're using a church Bible, it's page 1153, and in the larger print Bibles, 1784. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given that one Spirit to drink. And so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This is God's Word. And you'll notice the translators of the NIV have called this section unity and diversity in the body. That's a good summary of what this is about. Or we might go for the musketeer's motto, 
One for all and all for one. Because that also sums this up pretty well. And the first point this passage makes is that the church is a body, not just a collection of individuals. Have a look again at verses 12 and 13. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Imagine that you go to a concert. Depending on where you go, there might be thousands of other people there. And for an hour or two, you might all enjoy the music together. Depending on what kind of concert it is, you might all sing along to the songs together. But when the concert is over, your togetherness is over. Everyone just goes their separate ways, probably without speaking to one another and definitely without any concern for what's going on in each other's lives. We could say the same about going to a football match. The unity of the crowd can be pretty exhilarating. But it's also very superficial. It only lasts as long as everyone is watching the game together. And some of us may have been to churches that feel like that. The togetherness ends when the final prayer ends. People head for their cars and they scatter. But in this passage, Paul wants us to see that kind of superficial unity. Yes, it's all that can be expected at a concert or a football match. But if a local church is like that, then it's a terrible denial of what the church actually is. Because the church is a body. And if you think of your own physical body, Pretty obvious, all the various bits have a very deep unity. They never go their separate ways. Maybe if you're ice skating, it feels like your body parts are going in different directions, but they don't really go their separate ways unless something is wrong in a major way. If you lose a body part, you mourn the loss. You feel the loss very, very deeply. Probably you feel it for the rest of your life. Ask anyone who's lost fingers or a limb. There's nothing superficial about the unity of the human body. And there's nothing superficial about the unity of the church. It's a deep, supernatural unity. We're told here it's created by God the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 says we were all baptized by one spirit or in one spirit. No exceptions to that. If you have come to Christ for forgiveness, if you're trusting in his work on the cross to reconcile you to God, then you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. It's what happens when you trust in Jesus. The baptism of the Spirit is not just for some Christians, it is a reality for all of us. That is Paul's point. 
He's talking here about what unites us. If only some of us had this, it wouldn't unite us at all. It would divide us into the spiritual haves and have-nots. So all of us who are Christians have this, but what is it? Well, we know what water baptism is. In a few weeks, we'll have a chance to be reminded of what it is. The person being baptized goes into the water and they come up drenched. It's a picture of what has happened to them already. They've left their old life behind. They've begun a new life that is drenched with God's forgiving, cleansing love. And that helps us understand what Paul means by the baptism of the Spirit. When we come to Jesus, we're not only cleansed, we're not only forgiven, we are saturated by his Holy Spirit. He floods us with his new supernatural life. Not just on the outside, but right to the core. Paul says in verse 13, we were all given the one spirit to drink. That's not a different idea to what we've just been talking about. It's another way of saying exactly the same thing. The spirit floods into us like water floods into us when we take a big drink of it. This baptism or this drinking in of the Spirit is not something we can see on the outside, but it is real. It's life-changing. And it means we have a genuine unity with every other Christian. Our unity could not be deeper because it comes from the supernatural life we all share together. Life in the Spirit of God. So it goes way, way deeper than a shared nationality or a shared temperament, shared interests, or shared stage in life. So if you and I behave like our unity is based on those superficial things, if we limit our Christian relationships to people who are just like us in superficial ways, if we shy away from those who are not superficially like us, then we are living in denial of the deep unity we have in the Spirit. And there's even more to this. It's the Holy Spirit who makes us one body, but we're not just any old body. We are the body of Christ. Paul says that in verse 12, and again in verse 27, you are the body of Christ. What does that mean? Well, in the book of Acts, Jesus himself explained what it means. At that time, Paul was called Saul, and he was a very different person. He had no time for Jesus. Saul was doing his best to destroy the church in its early days. That was his obsession, to stamp it out. But as he was traveling to Damascus, looking for Christians to throw in prison, Jesus appeared to him and said, not... Saul, Saul, why do you persecute the church? But Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? To persecute the church of Jesus Christ is to persecute Jesus himself. The church is called his body 
because his connection to the church is as close as your connection to your own physical body. Along with every other Christian, you and I have been formed by the Holy Spirit into one body. And because Jesus Christ is so intimately joined to his church as its Savior and its Lord, the church can even be called his own body. And so then, if you and I act like our unity as a church is no different from the unity of football fans supporting a team, or the unity you can find at some other club or some other society, if we think our unity goes no deeper than that, we are way, way off the mark. If we imagine church is just about joining for an act of worship and then making our exit until the next time, then we haven't yet grasped the reality of the church. On the other hand, the more we do grasp the reality, the less likely we're going to be to resent another church member or to see them as an enemy or a rival. The less likely we'll be to attack another church member because we know that doing that is attacking Christ's own body. That's what he said. And we know it's also attacking our own body. Attacking another believer is a genuine case of cutting off your nose despite your face. Attacking the body you are a part of yourself. The church is a body, not just a collection of individuals. But that statement isn't all that needs to be said. Because by itself, it might give the idea that unity means uniformity somehow. That being one body means we'll be all the same, like clones. But body parts are not the same. They're united, but they're very different. And they need to be different if the body is going to work. C.S. Lewis explains it like this. Things which are part of a single organism may be very different from one another. Things which are not part of a single organism may be very alike. Six pennies are quite separate and very alike. My nose and my lungs are very different, but they are only alive at all because they are part of my body and share its common life. Christianity thinks of human individuals not as mere members of a group or items in a list, but as organs in a body, different from one another and each contributing what no other could. When you find yourself wanting to turn your fellow church members into people exactly like yourself, remember that God probably never meant them to be that. You and they are different organs intended to do different things. Six pennies are all alike, but they're separate. None of them needs each other because they're the same. My nose and lungs are very different from each other, but those differences actually make them vital to one another. They do need each other. 
And that's the second point our passage is making. Parts of a body are very different, and all the parts are important. So having stressed the deep unity of the church in verses 12 and 13, Paul now shifts the focus to the diversity that exists within the unity. Look at verse 14. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And then in verses 15 to 27, Paul gives us two, two truths that come from this. In verses 15 to 20, he speaks to those in the church who feel inferior for one reason or another. And then in verses 21 to 27, he speaks to those who feel superior for one reason or another. So first, those who feel inferior need to grasp the truth that no one is surplus to requirements. Just have a look again at those verses, 15 to 20. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. In verse 18, Paul reminds us, God is the one responsible for putting the body together. That's true for each one of our physical bodies. If we just think about those for a moment, the body I have and the body you have are given to each of us by God. And that's why if any of us feel dissatisfied with our physical body, or even if we feel we are in the wrong physical body, our calling as Christians is to live for God in the body He has given us. Trusting that God didn't actually make a mistake when He gave us the body we have. That may not be easy for some of us, but our calling is not to try and mutilate our body. Our calling is to come to terms with what God has given us and serve Him in the body we have. And the point here is, just as God put the parts of our physical bodies together, just as He wanted them to be, so He put the parts in the church together our church body, just as he wanted them to be. You and I might feel that we are an inferior part of the church body, just like a foot might possibly compare itself to a hand and for some reason it might feel inferior. Comparing ourselves with others can make us feel inferior, but the facts contradict our feelings. Because a body without a foot is severely handicapped. Hands are great for picking things up, but they're naff when it comes to taking the body from one place to another. Try walking into town on your hands. Even the best gymnast would not get very far. 
I remember years ago, Liverpool's goalie, Bruce Grobelar, would occasionally walk out onto the pitch on his hands. But it was just a party trick. He couldn't live that way. And that is the point. Bodies without feet are severely handicapped. So are bodies without ears or without a nose. And the church body without you would also be severely handicapped. Why do some of us have trouble believing that? Well, it may be because the church as a whole so emphasizes and so elevates a certain kind of personality, maybe, that men and women who don't have that personality feel they're below par. It may be that a certain kind of contribution is given so much focus in the church that those who are unable to make that kind of contribution begin to feel second class. That can happen in a local church. It can happen in the wider church too. If the only kind of Christians who are celebrated in the local church or the wider church are the kind of Christians who are super bubbly all the time with charisma to burn, who could have a second career in stand-up comedy, if that is what is constantly being celebrated in the church, it's no wonder Christians who aren't like that begin to feel inferior. But often, I think, our sense of inferiority isn't all down to what the church celebrates. We're pretty good at coming up with our own personal ideas about what contributions are important, and then deciding that any contribution we might make doesn't really amount to anything. But if you are thinking that way, are you saying then that God made a mistake when he put the church body together? Are you saying he put you in the body but he didn't give you anything to contribute? Or that he gave you something that was worthless to contribute? Would you say that about your own physical body? Would you say some parts of it are worthless? Would you be happy to part with a foot? Maybe not. How about a finger then? Because they are pretty worthless, aren't they? Which finger would you part with? Did you know when it comes to gripping things with your hand, your little finger is more useful than your index finger? I have that on good authority from a father-in-law who has two little fingers and only one index finger. But then again, if you're at a rifle range, your index finger comes into its own. And how could any of us text if we were all fingers and no thumbs? Different situations need the contribution of different parts. That's how bodies work. And certain church situations need your contribution. 
So don't worry about the way God hasn't made you. Trust that he made you wisely. Trust that he got you right. And then do what you can do as a part of Christ's body. Your contribution will be significant. Maybe in ways you'll never even know. Those who feel inferior need to grasp the truth that no one is surplus to requirements. But not everyone in the church feels inferior. Some might feel pretty impressive. Superior even. And those brothers and sisters need to grasp the truth that no one is self-sufficient. Verse 21 The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. There are a surprising number of people who claim to belong to Jesus, and yet they see no need to belong to a local church fellowship. Now, that is not just disobedient to the clear command of Scripture. Hebrews 10 says we are not to give up meeting together. It's not just disobedient. This passage tells us that attitude is also incredibly arrogant. Because if we forsake the regular fellowship of a church, we are in effect saying to the rest of the body, I don't need you. I'm wise enough, I'm strong enough on my own, thank you. Maybe you weak Christians need each other, but I have all I need. I can do without the lot of you. We need to realize the New Testament would not classify that person as a Christian. Because according to the New Testament, genuine Christians realize the rest of the body is indispensable. That is what verse 22 says. None of us are strong enough or wise enough to go it alone. God has not given any one of us all that we need. You and I will only receive all that we need as we take our place in the church body. Not a theoretical church body, but a real church body, where we share our lives with real people who are different from us, sometimes frustratingly different, who have different insights from us and different strengths from us. And that means it does not count to say, well, I watch sermons online. That's a very good thing to do. But it has as much relation to being part of the church as watching tennis does. However, you are all here this morning. And so what we need to think about is even when we do come to church and get involved, there's still the temptation to think, Okay, 
Everyone has a place, but these people, they're the ones who really make the church tick. These people over here. And maybe it ends up being, we are the people who make the church tick. Those others, they're just making up the numbers. Now it is true, nearly every church will have some lukewarm hangers-on. People who don't struggle with feeling inferior or superior because they're just not that bothered about the body. Those men and women are the equivalent of rotting body parts. They might still be attached, but they've lost feeling. And they're not working anymore. If that happens to any of our physical body parts, it means they have leprosy or gangrene or they're just dead. Those body parts are in a bad way and they're a serious issue in your physical body and in the church. But they are a whole other topic. They are not what Paul is talking about here. The people in view in our passage are all alive and well. But some of them are in danger of being undervalued by the others who feel superior. And Paul wants to correct that. And he does it by making another comparison with our physical body. In verses 23 and 24, he says, What do we do with the parts of our physical body that aren't presentable? Think about that for a moment. The bits that would attract embarrassment if they were on display in public for everyone to see. Well, we don't actually ignore those body parts. We honor them by showing them extra special care and attention. We're very careful not to expose them to situations that would bring shame or embarrassment. We give them the covering they need in those situations. We protect them. That's what we're all doing with our physical bodies this morning. And Paul wants us to see in the same way we must show special care and consideration to those parts of the church body that seem less honorable or less presentable. What does that mean? What does it look like to do that? Well, it means we don't worry too much about giving recognition to our pastors. They will get enough honor just by being visible and just by being at the front of things. But we do need to be very intentional about honoring those who are not so visible and upfront. They need to be reminded that their contribution counts. More than that, they need to know their contribution is vital, indispensable. Otherwise, if we don't do that, then we're sending the message that God put some parts in the body that really didn't need to be there. One of the ways we can show that every part matters 
is by sharing the joys and sorrows of every part. Look at verse 25. There should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. One writer says, in the body of Christ, there are, strictly speaking, no private sufferings. All are shared because there is one life of the whole. If I get a thorn in my foot or a nail through my foot, my foot does not suffer by itself. My whole body suffers with it. That is how bodies work. And if I'm blessed in some way, maybe with a good meal, it's not just my teeth or my tongue that enjoy it. My whole body enjoys it. That's also how bodies work. So as members of the Church of Christ here in Pelso, let's make every effort to share the joys and sorrows of all the body. It takes work and commitment Let's use the prayer updates to give thanks for the blessings others have received and to share the burdens of others in prayer. In order to do that, we have to be willing to let others know about our blessings and our burdens. Send me things to put in the prayer updates. Share them in your home groups. Share them after this over your tea and coffee. And let's each of us pray and work to move beyond a superficial unity. Let's pray and work that we will increasingly live out the reality of our profound unity. The unity is there in Christ, brought about by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray and work so that it shows more and more. You don't have to be a musketeer to have the motto, one for all and all for one. It's an appropriate motto for all those who know the truth of verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We need each other. Every single one of us has a contribution to make. And in God's great wisdom, Every contribution matters. So don't look down on the contribution of others. And don't ever fall into the trap of doing nothing because you think your contribution isn't important. Whatever it is you're doing, do it the best you can with commitment, with love, and trust God to bless and to build up the body through it. Because he will. And if you're here and you have already opted out of contributing because you're frustrated with other people maybe or because you do feel inferior, then get back on the horse. It's mixing metaphors, but you know the point. Get back on the horse. Get back to doing what you can do. 
Ask for help if you don't know where to start. And believe God when he says those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And then last of all, if you are not part of the body, if you're still an outsider looking in on all this because you've never admitted your sin and your need of a savior, then come to Jesus, receive his forgiveness, and take your place in his body. Our last song brings together much of what we've seen in this passage. It's a prayer, a prayer to Christ from whom all blessings flow.